along the way. And there's, I guess, Peggy right there. Perfect. Thank you, preacher. Amen. What about so? What time do we need to be done? Six-ish. All right, we can do six-ish. That's not a problem. All right. Great. If you go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter three, Hebrews chapter three. My my pastor always says every pastor should have had to do deputation for a little while just to understand it. And uh, so what your pastor is echoing is is very true. And uh, it's uh, it's an interesting world out there. And uh, I don't I don't have a whole lot of complaints to be honest with you. I'm more embarrassed about how well we are treated overall than anything. Um, we really, uh, I've got a few fun stories, and I kind of like a few horror stories along the way, to be honest. It makes life interesting. You know, everything's always smooth. It's kind of boring. So I, I kind of like the hiccups and the strangeness and the, the weird ones. And so, uh, matter of fact, I tried to find out where they were. I'd hear horror stories about certain churches and the way they treated a young missionary, and I always, I always tried to get their information and so I could follow up with them because uh, I don't know. But churches treated me different being a little older missionary, and so I didn't quite get treated the same. But uh, I was looking for some of the crazy ones. I wanted to be there. So, uh, yeah, I just do all sorts of things. So I'll just whatever. Uh, I'll go stir it and see what happens, and I get in a lot of trouble on purpose. So, But it's a lot of fun. So, uh, But uh, I'm so glad to be here, and I do appreciate the specific prayers for us as we get back in country, and, and it is different no matter where you go, and uh, there's trials and those things, and so um, just uh, it, it's an expensive proposition to get the gospel around the world, Amen. and so that's probably why he blessed America with so many finances. Yeah, yeah, I, I just believe we're supposed to be doing something with it that's eternal, and, and uh, I do believe you ought to be giving to missions. I believe you ought to be faithful, and you're giving to your local church uh, through tithes and offerings. I believe you ought to be faithful to giving to missions above that. And I don't believe y'all rob your pastor to support a missionary. I don't believe y'all rob a missionary to support your pastor. I believe these sort of things work together. I think if you'll be generous, both will be taken care of. And uh, if you're not doing that, you're being unfaithful. God's not pleased with that. And that's a great shame. You're living for yourself. And uh, you're not living for God. You're not living for His kingdom. And you're not doing what you ought to do. And I'm not trying to be ugly about it. I can tell you, I love to give. I, uh, that's one of my great ways of worshiping. I love to give through worshiping, and uh, I enjoy giving, and I take part in our church's faith promise, whether I'm here or on the field, uh, every single week we take part in our church's faith promise, and then we take part in supporting some folks directly uh, that we meet along the road and, and uh, those things. And I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying it's an opportunity. It's a blessing us to give, and I've never lacked for my giving, never lacked. I, I there's never went without a meal because of my giving. I've never went without anything. I wouldn't even be what I am if it wasn't for getting to preach the gospel. I wouldn't have what I have if it wasn't for what God did in my life. And so uh, I certainly have not hurt uh, from giving at all. And a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, if I had money like they have money, I'd give like they give. Well, you got it backwards. If you gave like they gave, you might have money like they have money. Sorry, that's what 2 Corinthians 8 tells us about in 9. He's, there's a law of sowing and reaping with giving. And uh, there, there's some things that go along with it. That's God who said it. It's his promises, his experiment, his trial that he told you to give a shot to. And so uh, I hope you'll take uh, that person. I know many of you do give. I don't know who does and who doesn't. I'm not too worried about it, to be honest. God's got that sorted out. Uh, but if you want the Lord's blessings in your life, try his economy out. And uh, he'll bless that. He's got a different economy than this world. So he's got a different economy than Dave Ramsey. 
Dave Ramsey will tell you, don't worry about giving above your tithe until everything's perfect in your life. Well, I'll tell you, get things perfect in your life. Honor God. <laughs> Follow his. I love Dave Ramsey's plan overall, but he didn't write the Bible. Amen. He, just like I, am not your pastor. I'm not your Bible. And we are not your Holy Ghost. So be careful who you listen to. Be a Berean. Check it by the scriptures. See what's right. All right, I've meddled enough. Uh, let's go ahead and go to, uh, we're here in Hebrews chapter 3. And I want to look uh, real quickly here at uh, three verses, and then we'll kind of go back through a good portion of the chapter here. And uh, just uh, want to look at uh, really a statement and then what's connected to that statement concerning the nation of Israel. Now, to understand the book of Hebrews real quick, the book of Hebrews is largely written uh, in order to show the Hebrew people, the, the Jewish people, what all the stuff in the Old Testament meant. And so they're doing all the sacrifices, they're going to the tabernacle, they're going to the temple, they're, they're, there's great things being done under the Old Testament or the Old Covenant or the Old Dispensation, and you, you have all this time during the law and they've been doing all these things, and suddenly, looking at it from their perspective, suddenly Jesus Christ has come upon the scene, he has died upon the cross of Calvary, he's been buried, he's risen again in three days, and now he has fulfilled the law. He has taken care of these things. And so many of these things, while they are still carried out in New Testament commandment, uh, the Old Testament law has been set back largely. Uh, and really it's still an amazing thing because it leads us, it is a schoolmaster to lead us to the place we know we need salvation. And so it's very important, but they've, they're looking at it through this lens of what just happened. We've been doing all this for generation after generation after generation. And now, what did all that mean? And so the book of Hebrews goes through that. We'll not be looking at a lot of it, but understanding who it's written to is very important as we develop what we can apply to our own lives as the children of God. So look with me at chapter number 3, and we begin in verse number 7. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. We notice that phrase, harden not your hearts. Look with me now at verse number 15. Uh, actually, we'll start verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ, if ye hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Look with me now at chapter 4 and verse 7, if you would. Verse 7 says again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And so I'd like to preach this evening, Lord, helping us on harden not your heart. Our dear Father, we do thank you for the day you've given us. And Lord, I'm so thankful that throughout the Word of God, you not only give us the perfect examples or the great examples of men's accomplishments in your service and in your power, but you also, also show us their frailties. And thereby we see our own frailties and we see the correction for those things and we learn how to deal with them so that in our own lives we may live more circumspectly, more perfectly before you. 
And I pray that you'd help us to do that this very night. And Lord, you'd guide and direct in all the evening's messages. Lord, I pray that you'd be with Brother Shock in a few moments as he gets up to continue through uh, the book of Jonah as you've led him. Lord, if that's still your direction, uh, we praise you for that. We praise you for the good messages this morning and yesterday. And uh, Lord, I'm certain they were wonderful on Friday as well. And so, uh, Lord, we just uh, praise you for your goodness to us. The opportunity to sit around your word. What an honor and a privilege it is. But God, I need to uh, make it known that I'm not able to do what needs to be done tonight. So I need you, Lord. Would you do it? We do thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Three times we see an instruction to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people, harden not your hearts. And so uh, we know from reading the Old Testament that the nation of Israel is portrayed and described as a stiff-necked and a hard-hearted people. I mean, God does something, and they're in victory, and they're living up here, but their stiff necks and their hard hearts lead them to a place where they begin to doubt God, or they begin to transgress against God. They begin to cause an issue, and God has to correct them, and He gets them back to a little softer place, and they rise once again to be used of God in a way that He sees fit. And so it's important that we see this and we understand what we can apply from it. But real quickly, I do want us to notice some important things. By the way, if something said three times within a short letter, probably pretty important. But there's also shown some importance in here. If you notice in verse number 7 that the first time he says it, it's connected with the Holy Ghost. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. We see it connected with the Holy Ghost. Uh, In verse 14, it says, For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. We see it there, connected with Jesus Christ. In chapter number 4, in verse 7, it says, And again he limiteth a certain day, saying, In David. So he's quoting David. As today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, harden it not your hearts. Now, if we go back to where that's quoted from in Psalms 95, we see uh, verses 6 through 8 says this, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. That's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah, God the Father. And so we see that he is quoting him, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. And so you have the first time it's quoted, it's connected with the Holy Ghost. The second time it's connected to the Jesus Christ. And third time it's connected to God the Father. And so three parts of the Trinity have now been connected to this saying, repeated three times within a short letter by the writer of Hebrews. And I would say, we probably ought to take heed. Probably something we ought to pay attention to. That he's trying to hone us in on something, to see something here, very important. And so I want to look at these passages real quickly and see how Israel hardened their hearts and so we can take warning of what we ought to pay attention to. And so again, back in verse 7 of chapter number 3, and we'll, I know we've read it a couple of times, we'll read it one more time. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest, 
Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The first way that we are shown that the nation of Israel or the Hebrew people hardened their heart was through this deceitfulness of sin. God, of course, had led them out of Egypt and he had, he had parted the Red Sea and brought them into the wilderness, which was supposed to be a very short journey. And they were supposed to journey through the wilderness and end up right into the promised land. Uh, God's rest. And, and it's not that they wouldn't have to labor. It's not even that they wouldn't have to fight. But it was to be God's place for them. By the way, God's rest doesn't mean we're not active. We're going to see that in the third one. It doesn't mean we're not laboring. It doesn't mean we're not warring. It simply means we are perfectly within God's will for our lives. We are living where He wants us to live, acting how He wants us to act, living the life He wants us to live. And in that, there is rest. But through unbelief, or through the deceitfulness of sin, these people have chosen to turn their backs on God time after time, after time. And I say the first way they harden their heart and the first way we uh, got to watch from hardening our heart is allowing sin, the deceitfulness of sin, to be in our lives. By the way, sin is a deceiver to us. You say, how do you know that? Because I know in my own life, I have the sins that I'm okay with. And so do you. You, you have the things that you'll laugh off. And those things are just as serious as the other things and they build upon one another and they become a danger. And we've got to be very careful. And I've got, I'm just confessing this in my own life. I've got to be very careful about what I allow in my life because sin will deceive. And it absolutely will take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay as the preacher said this morning so well. Listen, sin is deceitful and it destroys you and it hardens your heart and you will not hear the word of God. You'll not hear what he has to say to you. I'm going to ask the question, but the answer is yes. Have you ever come to church with sin in your life? Yeah, Praise God, come to church anyway. Yeah, I'd rather you get it taken care of before you come to church, but if you don't get it taken care of it before you come to church, come to church and get it taken care of. But you've come in and you've wondered why everybody else is happy and why everybody else is having a good time. You've put a smile on. You've sung the songs. You've shaken the hands. You've done all the things you're supposed to do, but you know when you leave there was nothing in it for you. By the way, there was something in it for you, but your heart was hardened. There was sin in your life and your heart was hardened and you could not receive what was given? By the way, it's, it's a sin to do many of the things to, or to not do many of the things we know we ought to be doing. Those things are being spoke about some this week. But let's look at the second one for the sake of time. Secondly, we go down to verse 14 now. We read again, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast in the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. 
So the second reason the Hebrew people could not enter into the promised land was because they did not trust God. God had told them, hey, listen, what I want you to do is I just want you to get behind a pillar. When it moves, you move. When it stops, you stop. By the way, God's will is pretty much like that. Well, I don't know what God wants with my life. Well, if the pillar's moving, follow it. If the pillars stop, stop. That's how you find the will of God. It's not deep. It's not difficult. Well, how do you preachers know you're supposed to go where you go? Well, we followed the pillar. And all I know is as I followed the pillar, I got to a place in my life at different uh, crossroads, and I knew if I chose that way, it would displease him, and if I chose that way, it would displease him, if I chose that way, it would displease him, if I chose that way, it would displease him, but if I just went that way, he'd be pleased. I, I don't hear audible voices. Amen. I'm not saying God's never highlighted texts in my life of, of Scripture and that He's never spoken to my heart in some specific way, but 99% of the time, it is simply, I know this would be displeasing to God. So I'm going to go here. Or, or all of this would be displeasing to God, and I'm to go there. I'm not trying to make a spiritual application about the direction. I'm just saying it's very simple to find the will of God. And here's the thing, if we are in the will of God... It is not our responsibility to worry about how things are going to be taken care of. I want you to follow. Hey, when the pillar crossed the river, they're supposed to cross the river. When the pillar moved, they're supposed to be moving. It's not a hard thing. But because they, they didn't believe, I mean, first of all, they had sin in their lives. They whined and complained. They wanted the meeks and the, or the, the leeks and the melons, the meeks and the melons, the, the leeks and the melons back in Egypt. They wanted all the things they used to have, and they sinned by it. But then when they come up against something, they failed to believe God. He brought us out here to starve us. Yeah, God went through all this trouble to bring you out here to starve you to death. I have a feeling they looked a lot like us. They, they came out rich out of Egypt, by the way. They came out with goods. That included livestock. That included many things. They didn't come out as poor people. It'd be like us going to Ethiopia and saying, we're starving over here. But they're in the wilderness, and they didn't eat sustenance. Things would run out if, if God didn't provide. But they doubt him, and they don't believe him, and, and they push back against him. There's no water here. There's no food here. There's giants in the land. Uh, time after time, they just didn't believe God for his promises. Amen. And I say we're just as wicked when we don't believe Amen. his promises. Amen. We're dealing with the subject of giving a lot this week. That's... Really a, a big thrust of missions conference. Praise God for it. Amen. I want to be stirred. I've been praying this week. Our missions conference is coming up at our church. I don't know if we'll be there. But I'm praying about God. What do you want us to do for our faith promise this year? I love increasing faith promise, and I pray that and sort of that. Hey, I'm excited about it. I love preaching on giving. It's actually one of my favorite subjects next to the gospel. I'll come in here and preach on giving all week, and I'll have a high time if nobody else has a good time. I love it. But if you're not given, it's because you don't believe. Try me. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven. Pour you out a blessing. But Paul to the Corinthian church, by the experiment of this ministration, talking about giving. In other words, try me out 
and see if I won't honor my promises and my word. And if you reap sparingly, or if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. And this is the way I work. This is the way my economy is. And I want you to try it out. Yeah. It's one of the few things God gives you a try before you buy policy. He says, try me out. Do this experiment. Two places, Old Testament and New Testament. He says, try it. Just see if it works. Give it a shot. Isn't that interesting? But so many people say, well, I just can't do it. Well, I'll echo what the preacher said before. It's because you don't believe him. And that's hardening your heart. By the way, when you harden your heart, you get to the place where you get scornful and you get skeptical about everything that anybody has to say about giving. I'll just say it directly. I don't mean it ugly at all. But if you are right now thinking, boy, Brother Matthews is just harping on that. He just wants money. You're skeptical. I'll go further. You're a scoundrel. Because if I walk out of here without an offering, I'm going to be just fine. I'm going to love you guys just as much and we'll continue on. Hey, I'm the last one that's scheduled in this meeting. If I walked out and I got some good fellowship, some good food and a decent hotel room, I came out ahead of this deal. Don't give me a penny. I've had a great time. Amen? No issues. I understand that that, that there could be all sorts of things going on with budget, any of those things. I'm not worried about it. By the way, I'm not coming here with a list of needs. I'll just tell you in all sincerity, God has met the needs. We had three major phases that we needed $5,000 each in order to make it to Vietnam. And as far as I know, I believe the third phase, it just finished off this week. I think. I haven't figured the numbers exactly, but I guarantee you we're in just a few numbers, if, if anything. We may be over it, actually, because God's been so gracious to us. So I'm not coming in with a begging. I'm not coming in uh, with a sob story about what I need. By the way, not every need is a sob story. If this missionary has a need, I hope it comes out this week, and I hope the Lord will allow you to meet his need. Amen, that'd be a blessed thing. Brother Shock, uh, if he has a need, I hope it gets met this week. Absolutely, I just tell you honestly, I don't know of a need we have right now. God's been so gracious to it. I'm just saying, listen, if you harden your heart, you'll be skeptical about everything. You'll scorn everything that's preached to you. That was the nation of Israel, by the way. Everything seemed as mockery to them uh, when it would happen and those things would take place. I mean, it was just a constant uh, life of that type of mindset. And forgive me for calling you a scoundrel. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to awaken your senses. I don't want you to be mad at me, and I'm not mad at you. I just want you to wake up and say, hey, maybe I'm the problem. Amen? Maybe I need to do some self-inventory in this, and that's uh, hopefully what we do. Look at me at chapter 4 and verse 7. We'll look at the last one here. Verse 7, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. By the way, he's mentioned that in all three places about the rest of God, talking uh, about uh, the promised land. For he that has entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, 
lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The third thing within this uh, issue of unbelief and this hardened heart has to do with this. The nation of Israel were busy about working their own works. They were as guilty as we are here in America of being an all-about-me generation. And by the way, it's not just about the young generation. Listen, if you have a problem with the next generation, take a look at your own generation. You trained them. I'm not being ugly. I'm, I'm looking at my own generation going, boy, we failed the next generation. I'm sorry, we taught them to be what they are. Well, they're just on video games all the time. Who put them in their hands? Who made them? Well, they're always on social media. Who made it? This, it's time we get some real about some things. If we'll own what we're supposed to own, we might be able to help the next generation. Amen? Amen? And not all those things are evil unto themselves. I'm just saying, uh, we are the ones who've trained the next generation. We are the ones that have raised the next generation. And I know they make their own decisions. I know they go their own ways and we don't have full control of those things. But generationally, we prepare the next generation. And we've taught a generation in our generation and your generation. Some of you are a generation just above me. Some of you are the same generation. Some of you are maybe a generation below me, depending on how you define each generation. But we are all guilty. We are all guilty of the same thing. We're guilty of the sin problem. We're guilty of the unbelief problem, but we're guilty of looking after ourselves first. By the way, this thing of missions, it is about seeing to others' needs. Amen? It is about meeting the Great Commission, which we've not fulfilled. Therefore, the commission yet stands. The orders are still in effect that we are to just go forward and com- commit that. And absolutely, we ought to be giving, we ought to be going, and we ought to be praying. We ought to be giving our prayers and our prosperity and our person to missions because the mission's not done. But listen, in our giving, we need to understand that we are to work His works, first of all. We're far too tied up in this world today. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and get in trouble here. Trump isn't your Messiah. He didn't hang the moon. He didn't create a thing. There's nothing about him that equals our God. You say, why are you saying that? Because I'm sick of our Baptist churches lifting him up on such a pedestal that everything revolves around him and we're more interested in the works of man and the works of government and the works of evil, corrupt beasts instead of interested in the works of God. We're too busy about the works around us. Hey, I'm not against being involved in politics. Not. I think you ought to be up on what's going on. Think you ought to be wise to this world. And I think Christians ought to be involved in these things. I want Christians in every walk of life. Oh, I long for a righteous man in the White House. But I don't remember one in my lifetime. Sorry, none of them have been righteous. We're not voting for a pastor, we're voting for a president. That's a neat saying. Well, imagine what a man of God could do in there. Imagine what a man of God could do in there. Hey, I've not done anything but vote for the lesser of two evils my whole life. That's all I've done. Lesser two, I, I, at, the, at the national presidential level, we've had some tremendous congressmen 
and senators. We had some tremendous governors. There are some great godly men in politics. But I'm just saying we're not to be caught up in that. That's not to be our focus. We're we're not to be so consumed with that as children of God that we're working our own works. We're to be about His kingdom. Because guess what? It doesn't matter who's in the White House. I know the God in the big house. Amen? Hey, it's taken care of. But the nation of Israel, they're always worried about themselves, what we want. Hey, what is it in Israel known for me? National pride. Hey, I'm thankful to be an American. You better believe it. I'm an American exceptionalist. I am. I I believe we're exceptional. I'm not going to apologize for that. But I believe we're exceptional because the exceptional God who made us exceptional. And I believe I see his hand coming off of her right now. I'm not so sure we'll be exceptional. Matter of fact, as I look at prophecy, and I'm not a a great uh, student or or teacher of prophecy, I don't see a whole lot about us coming up. We're not going to be so exceptional here pretty soon. But we better be busy about his works. His rest is found in laboring in his work. Well, you tell me a better work than taking the gospel around to a lost and dying world. Our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. By the way, he can force us to do some of it. He sends persecution. It'll move us to our Jerusalem, our Judea, and our Samaria. Acts 1.8 was where it's commanded. Acts 8.1 is where it's fulfilled. But somebody still has to go decide to go to the uttermost. You can't push them to the uttermost. Somebody has to decide to go to the uttermost. You'd see that all throughout history. You can look at, history. You can look at Acts. Acts is the example of that. that that's why the... The seat of things was moved in many ways from Jerusalem to Antioch because those things took place. And so we need to get an understanding. We have a responsibility in all this. You say, Brother Matthew's awful excited about this. Well, listen to what he has to say just after these verses. By the way, I'm excitable anyway, so I love what I do. love getting to do it. But look with me at chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, what he kind of closes off the thought process with. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, or piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So he clears this off with, us, uh, with Israel having a, a hard heart and we are warned not to harden our hearts as in the provocation. And he says, by the way, the word of God is discerning everything about you. Well, you better believe that book is powerful. You better believe that the the Bible is powerful and it stands and it's discerning your thoughts. By the way, I don't know the thoughts and intents of your heart. You know what I've never met? A bad judge of character. Everybody thinks they're a great judge of character. Oh, I, I know how to judge a character. Well, how about we go back through your car deals? How about we go back through your life? And I guarantee you, we've all missed it. We're not as supreme in this as we think because we don't know the thoughts and intents of the heart, but this book does. Hey, you want to know what the heart thinks and what the heart is? You just take a look in your King James Bible and it'll give you an understanding of these things. Amen? Amen? It'll teach you the thoughts and intents of the heart. By the way, it goes deep. It's not just in those things, but even into the spiritual things. He's very clear about what takes place, but it's uh, dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. You want another thing I've never heard? A good distinction between the soul and the spirit. 
Every time I hear a man preach on it, it confuses me more. I hear so many definitions of how to tell what the soul of man is and the spirit of man is and trying to sort all those out, and I don't have a really good definition for you either. I know about the consciousness of this and consciousness of that, and then that gets murky because I still can't define the consciousness of that without talking about the consciousness of this and define the soul with talking about how the spirit enlightens it, and I can't define the spirit without talking about how the soul is, and then the one goes, yeah, but the Bible does it. It can take care of that. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not even, I don't have a fully sword in the Word of God, but it's sorted in the Word of God. Amen? By the way, somebody here may have a great definition. You want to bring Bible to me and teach me? I really want to know. I've studied and studied and studied, and I'm about as confused as when I started on it. I just know God's got it sorted out. I know both of them are going to heaven when I die. And eventually, the body's going to catch up and be changed. I'm good. Amen? But I, I don't mind wanting to know those things. But it divides those things. It understands these things. It, it is so amazing in these things. And the thoughts and intents of the heart, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Can I say, if your heart is, if your heart is hardened, God knows about it. We don't keep a secret from him in it. He's very serious about it. Listen, harden not your heart. And by the way, if you do, I know about it. And it's very displeasing to God. You say, how displeasing? Their carcasses fell in the wilderness for 40 years. His language, by the way. His language, by the way, this is the book that we really don't know who the human author is, but it happens to be signed by God right at the beginning. God who at sundry times and in divers manners. God just signed it right at the beginning. I'm pretty sure he probably doesn't want us to know who the human author is. This is, this is, a, this is a book where he, he says, listen, you be careful not to harden your heart. And can I just say, if there's one subject that people have hardened their hearts to in American Christianity, it comes to their prosperity. It comes to the cause of mission. Our churches are full of people who say, God, call somebody but not me. Not my kids and not my grandkids. That's a problem. We told our daughters, hey, listen, I'll rather you die in God's will at a young age than live one day out of his will. You go wherever he sends you, and if his will is for you to die there, it will hurt, but we will rejoice that you're in his will. I'd rather you be there. I'd rather you be dodging bullets in some dark country than to be safe here out of his will. We're unwilling to give our person. We're unwilling to give our prosperity. Hey, that was great today. How we give, not by sacrifice. We could give billions more without any sacrifice. You are going to have to set aside the budget, I guarantee it. But it doesn't take a whole lot of sacrifice. Does anybody have a testimony how you actually ended up sacrificing for God in your giving? Oh, I got stories about how I tried. I've got stories how I've tried to empty it out and how I've tried to just, not, not pushing God, not trying to try Him out, but just wanting to sacrifice for Him. God, let me do something that's bigger than me. God, let me do something that doesn't make sense. Let me step out and do something by faith. And God, let me suffer a little bit for it. 
still have it. A few weeks ago, I told a church planner coming to our home area, I said, hey, listen, so I'm going to give you two years support. I'm going to give it to you in a lump sum as soon as I get it. As soon as the Lord lets me know that's what it's for. It's, it was in. It just came in. I mean, you just step out saying, God, I'm going to do this. And by the way, we were going to do it before we left for the field, regardless of what it cost. If I can't pay our rent once we get to the field, we're going to pay that commitment. Amen? By the way, we don't pledge, God pledges, we promise what He's pledged. That's what faith promises, by the way. He, he puts the pledge in you and He says, I'm going to honor my pledge, by the way. I want you to give X amount, that's my pledge, that's, I'm going to give that through you. And you just promised, okay, I'll be the conduit and I'll give that as you send it in. He's, he's the one that makes the pledges. Amen. I'm not trying to deal with it. I'm just saying, hey, he's the one who says, this is what I'm going to do in your life, through your life, and you just be faithful, be a conduit to send it on its way. Just see what he might do. Because he knows what's going on in our hearts. By the way, can I say, if you're having a struggle in your heart, he's a gracious and loving God, and he'll help you through that. I'm not against you, and he's not against you. If you're going, man, I'm just struggling with this, Brother Matthews. This is hard. This is a big step of faith. Oh, trust me. It was for me too. There was a time when it was much more difficult than it is now. There's times when it really didn't make sense. But I thank God that He used people in my life to help remind me that I'm not to harden my heart and I'm to be soft to these things. I'm to desire to do more. And He's just allowed it to flow through me. And every year we're just amazed at what He's allowed us to do. By the way, I'm amazed every year at what He allows us to have as stewards. Not just what went through us, but what He gave to us. You give me a testimony how you've sacrificed. Hey, if He takes it all, I still haven't sacrificed because I get to go to heaven when it's done. Harden not your hearts. I think it's something we can take to heart just like the Hebrew people were supposed to. Harden not your hearts. Let's pray. Our dear Father, Lord, I pray that you would take this message and use it. Lord, I am, there's much better messengers who could have delivered it in a much more apt way. But God, I'm so thankful that you allowed me the privilege and allowed me the honor to do so. Lord, I don't take it lightly. I know that others have sacrificed time tonight so that I might preach. God, I, I, that is not a light thing to me either. I know that the people have come, they've taken... Uh, already a good part of their Sunday out to be here in your house and to learn more of you, and now they've taken it out this evening. God, I pray in my excitement that I have in no way portrayed you in a bad light, that I have misdisplayed your character, your kindness, but that we'd realize you are a loving and a kind God, and your commandments are not grievous. They are not difficult. They are not hard. They're not even that costly. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us to take up the mantle you set before us. Lord, we have a great challenge before us in giving to missions. Lord, I understand that not taking up promise cards at this time. And, and as you lead, you'll lead the pastor to do so. We saw examples of that in the Corinthian church and in the Macedonian churches. It's absolutely got a biblical precedent. Uh, but, Lord, uh, you lead the pastor as you see fit uh, when it's time and how to do it. Uh, you know exactly what needs to be done. Just the same, all of us have a part to play in missions. 
God, we ought to be given to our local church first. We ought to be taking care of the home base. If we're not doing so, we need to get that taken care of first of all through our tithes and our offerings. And then, Lord, moving on beyond those tithes and offerings, moving on to giving and uh, giving an offering to the cause of worldwide missions. Doing something, Lord. Being productive for your kingdom. I pray that you'd help us to do so, oh Lord. And help us out in the community as well to be giving alms. That's those secret offerings to individuals and families that no other person should ever know about. Those things that our right hand ought not know what our left hand are doing. Those community gifts. Lord, help us to be busy about that. That's part of your work. Jesus Christ gave it to us himself. And so, Lord, I pray in all areas of giving we be faithful and desirous to honor you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.